Hello and welcome to the Irish Mommy podcast. On today's episode, I'll be chatting to Melissa Keane. So Melissa, you are mum to one Joshua and your story is very, very new- unique. Um, so you were widowed at 27. Essentially, yeah. Um, with a seven-month-old baby. So do you want to kind of tell us about how Joshua came to be? Because he is just the most amazing little kid like he's always so funny and happy and he's full of beans so how did the conversation did did yourself and Gar have a conversation we did so um we had kind of like we'd we'd been together since we were 18 19 um so we were going on sort of the 10 year mark and uh we had actually bought our house together when we were 21 so we kind of felt like a really old couple by the time we were sort of 25 26 because we'd had the mortgage for five years lived together um, and been together since pretty much just after our leaving cert so um we had talked about it and um gar was definitely more keen than i was and um, just because i kept saying like oh we've loads of time we've loads of time like it'll be fine it'll be fine and i definitely did have that old sort of um stigma in my mind like i want to be married i want to be married i want to be married um, because my sister had actually been um, a very young mother and, and she wasn't married. So I kind of had this thing in my mind that I have to be married and that's what makes it like proper or whatever. Um, so Gar and I had been talking about it more and more. And then there was this weird, funny moment, if you can use your imagination, where it was like, well, we will or we won't. And we did. And like he liked to call himself, he was a one shot wonder. And um, <laughs> And then it was like six weeks later or something. And I was like, something's definitely not right. Like I just, you know, just didn't feel myself. And we went to the shop, we got a test and believe it, or I still have the test actually. It was one of those digital ones um, and it said pregnant. So I found out at six weeks. So he was absolutely over the moon, over the moon, chuffed. And I was just terrified. <laughs> and did you tell family straight away or just kind of keep it to yourselves? Well, it was really like, this is, don't judge me for this, but um, the day that we found out, uh, he had invited his best friend over like an hour later um, and we had told him and he was delighted and you know asked him to be the godfather like instantly but then oh I, I know who this person is <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah so I had text um my five closest friends just saying hi what are you doing and they're like what's wrong why are you being weird what's wrong um, and two of them guessed straight away so they were like I don't know how but they guessed straight away so that was then. Um, I waited a couple of days to tell my mum just because I was scared, which was ridiculous because I was 26, had a mortgage for years, was, you know, for all intents and purposes, married. We'd been together since we were babies. Like he wasn't going anywhere. Um, but I brought her for a walk in the park and I just said, um, oh, uh, I'm pregnant. And she was chuffed. And I thought it was going to be, she wasn't. And she was chuffed and she gave me a big hug and a kiss and Gar a big hug and a kiss. Um, and then we went down and told his mum and dad. And I mean, they had like the, Moses basket in the spare room for four years before that so they were like ready like they, <laughs> they were, were like come on we we need grandchildren that was it like they were like pushing it on us year before years before so um so no that was good it was all really really positive like I was it was good and how was your pregnancy my pregnancy was actually it was it was lovely I have to say now I was absolutely fine up until about three months I did have a couple of months of sickness um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like all day, every day. It was like randomly at 11 o'clock at night. Um, and around five months, they'd kind of said to me, you know, if it, if it continues, they'd have to do something about it, but it actually did stop then. Um, I was out walking every day with the dog and I wasn't really uncomfortable. I had a nice little neat bump, 
um, I actually got away with wearing maternity stuff and just like sized up in clothes. Um, working every day, actually, I'm very proud of the fact that I wasn't off one day my entire pregnancy. One sick day, I was absolutely fine working in the bank full time. Um, and it was good. I suppose the only thing that really bothered me was um, just getting comfy in bed at night. But I mean, other than that, I have to say I was blessed. It was Yeah, that seems to be a recurring kind of theme with pregnant women is kind of at night time um I've I've you know if the amount of people I speak to and they're like oh my god just trying to get comfortable at night time with a bump and because you essentially have to learn how to sleep in a different way because they you know unless you're used to sleeping on your left hand side or, or mm-hmm. you know you really have to retrain yourself to sleep you do and then like I mean there's so many you know old wives tales that go around they're like don't sleep on your back it's, it's dangerous for the baby or you know if don't lean too far forward onto the left but then also you have the bump to accommodate these new boobs to accommodate arms going dead legs going dead and then uh then once you've got comfortable 15 minutes later she need to wee so yeah it's that's the only thing other than that I have to say I was um I was actually blessed really really blessed it was easy breezy it was absolutely fine and then when it came to labor did you go into spontaneous labor were you induced yeah so um I yeah so actually the day that I went on maternity leave so I had finished up I'd saved up a week of holidays so I was going to leave a week early because you're supposed to leave two weeks before and I'd left uh, the week early I went home that night Gar and I had our dinner we went for a lovely walk with the dog I was like oh my god I'm gonna have three weeks to myself I'll be able to get my toes done and my face done see my friends before my life changes all this sort of stuff delighted with life that night of the of the day that I went on maternity leave and um, I woke up at about two o'clock, felt a bit uncomfy, got up for a bit of a walk and started walking around, got a little bit of like, you know, when you get a stitch, like high yeah. up. Twinges. That's it. But like had that. And I was like, no, this can't be it because I'm three weeks early. And in my head, you know, first time mom, it's going to be 40 plus. Yeah. Um, so I walked around for another two hours, sort of breathing a bit, still didn't believe it. Thought it might have been Braxton Hicks. Um, five o'clock then I woke Gar up and I said I think we might have to go to the hospital and he was like a headless chicken he had thousands of euro of equipment in his car for a job he was doing the next day he had to leave me at five o'clock drive out to oh, drive out to all the way down the M50 anyway past Ikea to drop it off fly back to, to me my mum had come over at that stage she'd help me have a shower and stuff and um, by then it was about six o'clock and that's when like the pain really kicked in and um I had a real unfortunate reaction I started vomiting from the pain so um that wasn't great but we got in the car at about half six and headed into Hollis Street then um Gar actually flying down the bus lane because there was you know the Stilorgan traffic at, like, yeah seven in the morning um so we flew down walked in and um, signed all the paperwork um but then as we were in the lift going to go to the ward uh just as I got to the top there my water broke so I never made it to the ward they just walked me right into the birthing suite and up on the table um so yeah so that was it so it was definitely spontaneous it was like active and it was three weeks early which I couldn't believe because I was thinking first child will definitely go over yeah and I didn't even get to the award I just went straight into the the delivery suite And then how was your labor? Did you have a difficult labor? Was it? So when I actually, when I first got in there and they examined me and they said I was zero centimeters, they were like, look, we're going to get you up, like walking around and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, go into the bathroom and do that thing you have to do in the weird cardboard box and come back out. 
So I came back out and she examined me again. This is probably like 25 minutes later. I was four centimeters. So I wasn't going anywhere. Like that was it. Um, so I had the gas and air then because like the pain was kind of ramping up and I was um, in the fetal position on the bed. Edgar was taking a few tokes of it as well every time the nurse left the room. <laughs> I can only imagine him. <laughs> oh my God. He was like taking it off me. Like I had to like bite it to keep it in my mouth. But, um, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't convince Ian I kept like trying to get him to try it and he was like no no <laughs> be afraid he'd get caught Gary just said it just made him dizzy like it didn't you know I almost like patted him on the back to make sure he was okay like um, <laughs> ridiculous but um yeah so the, the, the nurse came back in then a while later and like the pain had sort of really really kicked up and I said to her I was like listen I just make it stop just make it stop this is just breathing doesn't do shit staring at the wall doesn't do anything just be like please 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 give me um the epidural so that took a while for him to come down at that stage I was just in the fetal position nobody talked to me nobody looked at me just gar rubbing my back and and that was it so finally when the anesthetist came down um I was just at eight centimeters and they weren't going to do it but I begged them and they did so like that up bending over the pillow um Gar was there holding on to me and the actual epidural itself was fine but it didn't work so it made my feet numb and like parts of my legs numb but it didn't actually do what it was supposed to do but it was too late then because I was 10 centimeters oh my gosh <laughs> so yeah so that was that so um it was all really really quick I have to say I think I only pushed three times um ended up having to have an episiotomy though which was pretty bad because I wasn't you know the epidural hadn't done what it was supposed to do so that was pretty gnarly but um he was out in about three pushes so I walked into the birthing suite at nine in the morning and he was born at two minutes to 12 so two hours and 58 minutes of being in the hospital and he was born so I'd say the worst parts about it were you know definitely before I got the epidural and then having to get the epidural and then it not work but I only had to push three times thank god so um as it goes it wasn't that bad but to me I felt like it was traumatizing at the time like I was just I kept crying saying I wanted my mom <laughs> oh yeah I, f- I think I, I find that very hard in Ireland that you can only have one person yeah. because if it were up to me I would have had two people in the room with me I would have had my partner and my sister um because yeah. my mom would hit the deck my mom would be useless in that situation really? oh that useless in that situation oh my god I oh, can't even it. talk about childbirth where she crossed her legs. <laughs> She's like, no. <laughs> well, that's how I feel about it now. And that's how like my mum would have thought about it as well. But I, I was actually jealous of my sister because my sister was so young. Obviously, my mum was her birthing partner. Yeah. And my mum said she didn't from the minute they got there till after the baby was born. Mum said she did not make a peep. Now, this is a 16 year old girl who would not be in control of her emotions and her pain threshold or anything. But mum said she did not make one noise. She just powered in and did it and I was full sure I would have been like that if my mum was there almost like trying to show her how good I could be um, and know that she was there but you know I think if mum and Gar had been there they would have been fighting over who was holding the hand so it was probably oh best. they would have knowing the two of them they would have <laughs> absolutely so mum and Josie actually um, mum went to Josie's house as soon as she left my house and the two of them sat there together waiting for the phone call so at least they had each other to to wait yeah. it out and it was only a short time we were only in there three hours and he was born so yeah yeah, yeah. and what weight was he born so he was 6 12 wow because he was three weeks early yeah you wouldn't think it now would you no god no you wouldn't <laughs> yeah, I was expecting an 11 pound baby and 
you know, uh, but yeah, no, he was six, he was six, 12, and um, he was lovely and long, but he had, um, he had jaundice uh, quite bad. So he was in a little inc- light incubator for the first couple of days when we were in hospital. Um, so that was, was that beside you or was that away no, from you? It was down the hall. Okay. So I would keep going to like feed him and change him and stuff, but then I'd hear him crying from down the hall and either a nurse would settle him or I'd go down, but I kept bringing him back up to the room obviously to feed him. But uh, the nurses were great. Like, I mean, there was one night there when he was in the little box and uh, the nurses fed him for me twice because I was co-feeding. So they did two bottles and they let me sleep the full night. They were amazing. The nurses, I have to say, they were lovely. Really, really nice. That sounds so nice. It was so lovely. I didn't even know. Sure, I woke up the next morning and terrified. Didn't know what year it was, where my baby was, anything. And the nurse just said, uh, so-and-so has him down the hall uh, feeding. Yeah, I remember um, I had a really kind of long labour and I went in on the Thursday morning, was induced on the Thursday morning and Lucy was born at 9.30pm on the Friday night. How was being induced? Was that really painful? I've heard of Um, did you have in the armor? Yeah, I had the oxytocin and stuff. I didn't find it too bad, actually. Um, yeah. I just, my labor didn't progress. Lucy got stuck. Yeah, yeah she got stuck. My labor just wouldn't, wouldn't progress. Um, and she was facing, she was like the wrong way around. She was stargazing and stuff. So like, yeah, yeah. oh, she's just, she's been causing chaos since the second she was coming into this world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, But I remember actually, god it's only when you know you kind of I thought I remembered everything about labor and pregnancy and stuff but it's only when you speak to somebody else um I remember yeah I remember waking up and Lucy wasn't in the crib beside me Mm -hmm. and I was panicking and I like started like pressing that nurse's button and the nurse came in and she said she was crying but I was so exhausted yeah. Um, because I hadn't slept like really at all in those and the final block as well would knock you out. Yeah, exactly. Um, that uh, she was crying, so they came and they took her and they brought her down to the nurse's station and they were feeding her and stuff for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they were amazing. I have to say, and kind of waking up the next day and feeling rested because obviously I wasn't getting woken up. Um, and you know that was yeah, I couldn't buy that back honestly yeah. like it was so needed yeah. um especially because I couldn't have Ian coming in for the whole day yeah. to give me a break do you know what I mean so yeah. um it must have been I'm, really sort of lonely for you as well and you don't know what you're doing you're in a foreign um atmosphere and you know you're still just a girl who's had major surgery and now you're expected to look after a baby and you don't even have your partner to kind of look over at and go oh or somebody to give you well, I suppose I had nothing to compare it to so I didn't think it was that bad and I don't know if I still think it's that bad but I think the more people say it to me the more I go oh yeah you have a point do you know but I suppose for me it's just kind of you know you just have to get on with it and it was just something yeah it's just my story and yeah. it'll be an interesting one to tell her when she's big anyway you know about how she was are a particular breed of amazing mums and I don't think people give um covid mums like enough credit like I mean between going to sonograms on your own or different appointments or having to go through really scary stuff by yourself and then your partner's allowed in for the glory moment and then you're just left to get on with it I mean it's never happened before in our lifetime or our parents lifetime where that would happen so you really should give yourself more credit because it's, it's a scary thing first mum or fifth mum it doesn't matter yeah I suppose I, when yeah when it's your own story you kind of don't really look at it like that you kind of have people saying it from the outside yeah um but what was it like being a new mum for the first time ever and rocking home with a newborn well it was it was 
it was scary. Like the first, the first emotion I got when Josh was born was not necessarily, oh my God, I love him so much. It was, oh my God, this is terrifying. I'm completely responsible. Don't let his head, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and having him at 12 o'clock, obviously Gar was there with me, which was grand, but he was going off taking phone calls and everything, sending texts. He actually sent a mass text out to all our friends of just the baby and never told anybody what sex it was or anything for hours. He just forgot. <laughs> he just sent everybody a picture of a baby on my chest and that was it. So typical Agar, um, but then just puts up on Facebook randomly, it's a boy, get in. Not mum and baby are doing well or anything like that. So anyway, so he was off. Well, listen, he wasn't the soppy kind anyway. You know, I wouldn't expect anything more or anything less. (laughs) Typical, just Agar, blunt, here I am, that's it. But um, so he was off doing that. So I was just there with the baby, like looking at him going, oh my God, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. Uh, You know, I had this sort of, I think it was surreal and then obviously I was trying to breastfeed him and stuff so I was doing that for the first first day on and off what seemed like every 10 minutes um until my mum and Gar's mum and dad came in at six o'clock and the minute my mum came in I don't even remember what else happened but my mum came over obviously she didn't go to the baby first she came to me because I'm her daughter um and she put her arms around me and I just burst into tears and I was like what that was the most that was the most horrific thing I've ever been through like why because it was most you know, serious medical um, thing I'd ever been through. I'd never felt pain like it, all that sort of stuff. I was like, why didn't you tell me? She's like, oh, it was too late to tell you. What are you going to do? It has to come out anyway. And I remember just like bawling, bawling to her. And I was actually devastated when she had to go because my mum's like my security blanket. And I was, you know, I just felt scared. That's what I felt, just just nervous. But I was a lot better um, by the time we went home. I didn't go home for four days because um, obviously Joshua with the with the jaundice and stuff and having to be in the, the incubator. But the day that we went home, um, I remember being delighted to finally go home. I felt like I'd been in hospital for like 10 years. But unfortunately, when I put the baby in guard car and went to go sit in the passenger seat, I sat too low. And it turns out I busted all my stitches from my Achilles at the bottom. Oh, lovely. Now, I didn't know that at the time. Okay. Um, but four or five days later when the public health nurse came out and um, I had her in and she's like oh sit down there pet and let's talk and I said I can't sit down she said what do you mean you can't sit down I said it's, it's too painful to sit down she said come on down to the room and we'll have a look and she says you don't have a stitch left um but I just thought that's how painful it was supposed to be after you had a baby like I didn't know it wasn't supposed to be excruciating after yeah um so so that was hard like I had the first couple of weeks a lot of Epsom salt baths and a lot of that sort of stuff, uh, which made things a bit more difficult. But I mean, Josh himself was a dream. He was sleeping like 20 hours a day. We just had to keep him in the window. So we got all the vitamin D. He was a bit yellow. Um, but other than that, like it was fine. But the breastfeeding I found incredibly hard. Like incredibly hard. Did you? Really, really hard. Um, I ended up breastfeeding him for 17 days. Um, this will just give you an example. So when Joshua was in the um, incubators in the hospital the first few days, some of the nurses used to go in when he was crying and put their finger in his mouth, the roof of his mouth for him to like suck on like a dody. Um, and a nurse had done that for 15 minutes one day and she came in to me after and she took her glove off and she showed me her finger and it was a blister. That's how strong his suck was. And he was obviously a hungry baby then as well. So when he latched on, he would latch on fine, but it was excruciating. I would have to go... <laughs> And like it would take maybe five minutes before the pain would stop. But then when I would take him off, 
he was um the suck was so strong that i my nipples would all be bleeding so i'd be bleeding there'd be blood on his face every time he had to latch on i'd be crying but once he latched on then it was fine um but i just found it was so painful and it never seemed to be enough for him that we stopped co-feeding and then ended up starting doing bottles after 17 days but i was proud of myself doing those 17 days but the pain it wasn't supposed to be like that he didn't have a tongue tie or anything but his suck was just so strong that if he could give a nurse a blister in 15 minutes on her finger imagine what 40 minutes on the boob would do yeah of course so i just couldn't do it but once once we got you know once we stopped that um it was fine it and was, was there any guilt around your decision because I know like mom guilt is obviously a massive thing and I don't know anyone who hasn't gone through mom guilt mm. see I was in two minds I was kind of like a bottle is fine how many yeah. children have been raised on bottles like it you know every nearly every person I know was raised on bottles there's nothing wrong with it and um, everybody kept telling me oh it's brilliant God, I'll be able to help out you know you'll be able to have a friend feed the baby all this sort of stuff but I did want to do the three days. Like I'd kind of been almost coached into saying, well, if you at least do three days, and I know a lot of the, the colostrum. Nurses, yeah. Yes. I always thought a lot of the nurses said that because they're like, look, if you give it three days and it starts working, then just continue. It's fine. Um, I wanted to do it just purely, I think, to be able to say that I could and it worked. Yeah. Um, it was more of a, a, like not even a pride thing, but I just... I just said, look, I'll give it a bash. So we started doing the co-feeding because uh, just purely because my nipples couldn't keep up, like they were bleeding and they slits and it was just, it was, it was a lot. So we were co-feeding and then it just kind of became a thing where every time I sat down, I'd be bawling from the pain. He didn't seem like he was getting enough anyway. Yeah. So what am I doing this for? Like, who am I, who am I doing it for? Am I doing it for my friend who's looking at me going, oh, you stopped? Am I doing it for the nurse who was like, oh, well, you know, boob is best, but they're not the one here at four in the morning where I'm just bleeding and crying. Yeah. Um, so once I kind of got over that, um, it was fine. And then he was a far more settled baby because obviously he'd, he'd a fuller tummy. I was able to be more regimented, regimented with times and stuff. Yeah. And I got to be more involved. So it wasn't, it wasn't guilt. It was more getting over the fact that some people might not like it and yeah with that and then that was it it was fine yeah did you get anyone did you get anyone kind of trying to give their two cents about your decision to stop breastfeeding well my mum had tried it with um my older sister and like that she found it very painful it it, like it just wasn't for her so then with myself and my younger brother she had bottle fed um now she had always said to me try it give it a go if it works great you know, don't beat yourself up about yeah. it. So um, I knew from my mum's side, and I'm sure my mum was there at times where I'd just take Josh off and have blood on his face. I'd be like shaking from the pain, trying to get him off the boob. Um, so I knew there was absolutely no problem from her. Um, Gar's mum didn't mind at all as long as the baby was fed and happy. It was more just, I suppose for myself, it was the public health more, more than anything. I didn't yes. want her coming around. They all have that air of like, an auntie from the country who's disapproving of everything. That's yeah. the vibe you get from all them. And I just didn't really want to have to say it to her because they do the pause and the, okay, well, you know, breast is best. And it is, but not for everybody. Yeah, for me, and like we kind of spoke about this briefly before we got chatting. Um, you know, I've always been very open with you about my mental health and stuff. And for me, it was a mental health choice um, yeah. why I chose to bottle feed because, 
you know, I know that I am an absolute, I'm batshit with no sleep. Yeah. Like, oh, I'd be the same. I can't function with no sleep. And mm. for me, it was like, okay, well, if I don't get any sleep, I'm not going to be a functioning human for this child. Yeah. Um, so for me, from the get-go, it was like, no, I'm going to bottle feed because if I'm rested, I'm going to be a better mom. And that makes me better for my baby, regardless of how good that breast milk is for that baby. She needs yeah. her mom to be a functioning human being. That's it, present and able. But also don't forget, I mean, when you speak of mental health, I mean, breastfeeding brings its own um, negatives when it comes to mental health for hormone imbalance. I mean, you're still pumping those hormones around your body, producing that breast milk. And if you're in any way feeling, you know, a certain type of way after having a baby, sometimes continuing to breastfeed can really mess with your hormone balance. And, and that in itself is a reason to sometimes not do it. But you're totally right. I mean, you can't be yourself if on no sleep like it's no wonder that it's used as a form of torture sleep deprivation because honestly it can it can really really ruin your mental health and your physical health so I yeah absolutely completely yeah and that was just a choice that I made for mm. both and I, I did make it for both of us, and it was mainly for it was for Lucy because you know it would have been a disjustice you know an unjust for her um yeah. to have a mom who was just absolutely batshit and I would have been without the sleep and that's you know you know put my hands up and being honest like I would have been an absolute but it does take you know something from the dads as well and I mean I know some people like express and then bottle feed but I mean the dads with bottle feeding from the from day one the dads get that bonding time and they get that quiet special moment in the middle of the night where it's only the two of them you know things that a lot of breastfeeding mums get that the dads don't yeah so you know I think it's almost let it selfless to do it that way because at least it means you both got to do it from the start which I think is lovely yeah and was Josh a good baby then he was such a good baby I have to say he was such a good baby he was like a dream feed at 11 o'clock then it was like four o'clock and then he'd be smiling at me at seven o'clock like he actually was so good he was so good and he was lovely and quiet and you know he the only thing we had to do for him was give him like hungry baby food but he didn't really have colic he he was just really good I have to say he was really good um and was always smiling and stuff he was he was actually fine I, I just remember being exhausted myself and just stressed out at the time so I probably thought like it was a lot but no he was pretty much a dream I have to yeah. say For the first six months he was like yeah he was really really good even teething like you know he like given the little teething granules or the little thing to chew on and he was fine he wasn't a scream down the house baby at all oh god I have so much jealousy right now listen listen it's come back to bite me now so don't worry okay okay I'm kind of like thinking that maybe the tables will turn and she'll go from beat yeah that's I'm I'm in living in hope for that um the Latin spice in her that's all it is yeah yeah it has to be Uh, I have to have words with my mother over this I'm going to be like you created this it's your Spanish blood give me some Diablo juice to help her (laughs) (laughs) so you have this baby you're at home you're in your baby bubble and then probably one of the most tragic things that could ever happen to a family happens and at seven months old you lose your partner and Joshua loses his dad very very suddenly yeah and so that was the 9th of December so it was a couple of weeks before um Joshua's first Christmas and my partner had had an operation a couple of weeks ago a couple of weeks previous um on his ankle and he'd come home and he was absolutely fine um 
was wearing a cloth boot the whole time, which I wouldn't let him take off. Um, was healing perfectly. Everything was absolutely fine. Um, on the Monday, I brought him down to the hospital just down the road from us. They'd done a checkup on him. Uh, they said he was fine. They checked, checked his blood, all that sort of stuff. Um, and the following day, actually, um, that night, I remember it specifically because I'll always kick myself like forever. Um, I ended up going into bed at nine o'clock because I said to him, look, I'm absolutely shattered. Joshua, or Joshua was in bed. Sarah was watching the telly or something with his leg up with the, with the cast on. And I said, love, I'm just exhausted. I'm going to bed. Do you mind? Then he said, no, didn't say I love you. Didn't give him a kiss. Any of the usual stuff that I would have done every other single time before that uh, went into bed KO'd. Um, next thing I know, it was one o'clock in the morning and the light went on and he had like hobbled in on his crutches and he just said he couldn't breathe. And with the light going on when you've been in a deep sleep and stuff, I just kind of opened my eyes and I was like, what, what? And I said, come here and sit down, love. Like, what do you mean? You, can, you know, because he wasn't, he wouldn't be one to put things on or like, you know, exaggerate or whatever. Um, so I said, come here, sit, you know, or sit, as I was sitting up in the bed then, he just fell face forward and hit the deck, smashed his face off the, the chest of drawers that we had beside the bed and that was it, he was on the ground. So I got the fright of my life, obviously I hopped up, went over to see if he was okay, head was bleeding. I, I didn't, I didn't, at that stage, I just thought maybe it's his leg, maybe he's in pain, you know, whatever. So he couldn't get back up then and, you know, his, he just kept saying he couldn't breathe so the next I rang the ambulance um and funnily enough there's an ambulance like port across the road from where we live but it took him about 25 minutes to get there I'd rang his parents in the meantime to say I had to ring an ambulance because he couldn't breathe so they were getting themselves together to to come up but I remember like the ambulance men had arrived and they came into the apartment and I had Joshua seven months like in his room thinking stupidly to myself god quiet like I'm gonna wake the baby up like not you know you don't think at the time um, I'm laughing about it now because the dog was hiding under the bed, barking his head off. The ambulance member were giving out for the dog. Just random little snippets. But um, but yeah, they they got down and started examining Garen and they kept saying, oh, he's having a panic attack. He's having a panic attack. I said, we've been together 10 years. He doesn't suffer from his nerves. He's not having a panic attack. Um, and they kept like smacking him on the face saying, Gar, wake up, wake up, all this sort of stuff. And I just kept looking at him going, this isn't, you know, a panic attack. So he I was down there beside him and he was holding my hand so he kept squeezing my hand um but he wouldn't squeeze on the other side with the ambulance guy so I was like okay he's having a stroke I was like it's a stroke you know it's a stroke so after about 10 minutes or something his parents had arrived up they were in the doorway of the bedroom the dog was barking you know and he was a very big guy as well he was like six foot four and like 200 pounds so they realized that they weren't going to be able to lift him by themselves um so they had to call for another ambulance. Then it was two more ambulance men. And they got him up in the chair. Um, and they said, he'll be okay, love. He'll be okay, love. Um, and they got him into the ambulance. And I didn't even give him a kiss or anything because I was so in shock. So I remember looking out the window and he went off in the ambulance. And in the meantime, obviously, Gar's parents had followed the ambulance. Um, and in the meantime, I'd rang mom and I said, Gar's had a stroke. And this is the middle of the night, one in the morning. And my mom arrived. And the next thing, I just ran out of the house. I just actually ran. I didn't even ring a taxi. I, I knew I couldn't drive, but I didn't even ring a taxi. And I ran all the way down to the dual carriageway and just happened to hail one. And I told the taxi man, like, follow the ambulance, like my partner's in the ambulance. And he actually drove like 160 down the, you know, he, I said, I don't care, just drive. I, don't, I can't even remember if I paid him. Like, I can't remember. Um, 
And then when I got to Vincentshire, I was walking into accident emergency. And as I was walking in, those same ambulance men were walking out. And they didn't look at me. Now, not, they may have not even noticed me, but they didn't look at me. I went into the room where his mum and dad were and some 28-year-old girl who looked like she was in fourth year came in and said they did everything they could and he was gone. And like, and like that was it. Like the nurses were crying and everything because they were like, he's 27. Like, you know, they did CPR for like 24 hours, 24, 27 minutes or something. Um, and that was it. And they just said there was nothing we could do and hand me a bag with his stuff in it. And I'm like, like I could not, I, it, it was like some sick joke, sick, sick, sick joke. And then that was like three in the morning and they just brought us into him and, and that was it. And like, and Joshua was seven months, like in the next group, like I could not, I couldn't still to this day. Like I remember ringing my mom cause she was at home with Joshua and saying, he's gone. And my mom started screaming. She's like, what do you mean he's gone? And I was like, and the next thing I know, my mom arrived at the hospital and and that was it. I don't really remember what happened after that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was 27. Like, what, what? Oh, I, I, I don't even know what question to ask. Yeah, well, it was an embolism, it turns out. It was, it was yeah. So, um, you know. Is that like a clot, is it? Kind of, yeah. Um, that went from his lung to his heart. But, but I mean, the day before when we'd been in Lockton like they had checked his blood for coag ulation and stuff like that and actually the man that did the operation on Gar a couple of weeks previous rang us the day after he died and he said this has just gotten back to us like he was absolutely fine like everything was done you know obviously he was worried that we would have thought it was complication from the surgery and um, it was like the director of Kappa hospital or something rang to give his condolences you know they couldn't understand you know what had happened yeah um because it was such a rarity that somebody that young and fit you know it it, it word had gotten out basically Obviously, Vincent's had contacted Kappa to say, like, show me the notes from his operation a couple of weeks previous, but he was absolutely fine. The day before in hospital, he was absolutely fine. They said he was absolutely fine. I brought him down specifically, awaited outside the car for I'm sure the next night, that's it, he's gone. And it was just such a freak, you know, I, I don't know, do you call it an accident, incident? It, it was, it was a, a medical emergency. Like, there was nothing you could have, like, there was nothing we could have done, like, you know, he wasn't put any on any blood thinners or anything like that after his operation because he wasn't deemed to be prone. Um, young, fit guy. He had, the, you know, the, the cloth boot on. Now, it could have happened whether or not it, in his autopsy, it did say, you know, um, complications post-surgery, but you, you'd never know. It could have ha happened anyway. But yeah, it was the single most terrifying, devastating, surreal um horrific night of my life like it was just nothing ever 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 prepared me ever and especially not seven months after you've had a baby and when you're engaged to be married and you've been together for 10 years and like I was done like that was my life he was your day. person oh, yeah my person that was it and everybody yeah. around knew it everybody knew oh it. every everyone knew it like they were kids like yeah yeah no everyone everyone who knew the the two of you knew that mm. um so, you know, you have a seven month old baby, your partner, you know, of almost 10 years passes away at only 27 years of age. Mm. How? And like, you know, I, I was around, but I wasn't 
yeah. really like yeah, yeah. I kind of I was kind of always on the sideline kind of hearing you know things and checking yeah. in and stuff but like how how do you continue and I know that you don't really have a choice when you have a child they mm. need you and stuff but I can only imagine the amount of energy that it takes to kind of keep going well like initially like the first couple of months I'd say like all my friends pitched in like there was always somebody there or there was somebody sleeping or my mum was sleeping or it was past the parcel of the baby definitely and yeah it didn't I didn't even think about it and um, it was just done um and we all just seemed to like float on just getting through to the next day yeah that's, that's what it was and even at that I mean there would be nice we'd all be sitting here drinking till whatever time but we'd all pitch in with the baby or whatever or you know people wanted to come here because they wanted to feel a part of the grieving or be there for me or you know help with Joshua or whatever so the first I'd say the first year to be honest with you Frank I don't even remember it yeah and that means like I missed all like you know even though I have videos of Joshua standing up for the first time walking for the first time talking for the first time I actually don't consciously remember it because I was just just in absolute shock just yeah. the trauma of it um and like I you know had bad like quite bad years since like you know there's loneliness that comes in it there's depression there's whatever like definitely Joshua's something to get up and do every day but there has been days where I've just either rang my mom or rang a friend and I'm like just stand take the child and let me sit in the bed and wallow because like if this had happened when we were in our 50s or 60s and I took the bed for six months nobody bat an eyelid because widows do that like you yeah know, you can fall apart but um Luckily enough, I was only given enough rope just to get through about, but not enough to hang myself with, if you know what I mean. So nobody yeah, left to wallow for too long. Um, but it's hard. It's really hard. It's still hard. I can only imagine. And I, you know, I don't see Joshua on a regular basis. Um, but when I see pictures of him that you post, mm. I... Sometimes I have to take a second look and mm. remember to breathe because I look at him and, you know, they say the kids look very like their parents, but like he's a carbon, he is a carbon copy of his dad, um, which, which must be lovely, but also very difficult. Sometimes he looks at me and I could just ball. Like it's, you know, like a throwaway look. If he goes, what you say, mom? And he kind of puts his head back. And he looks at me, it's like, so I have to catch myself. I don't know how many times. Like he said something to me last week, which was funny. He goes, what'd you say, baby girl? And I almost stopped dead in my tracks because I would have never, he would have never heard the term baby girl, but that's what Gar used to call me as a little pet name. And I was like, that's not learned behavior. Like, how does he know? But he is so like Gar, even down to the wonky toe on his left foot. It's exactly <laughs> Honestly, he's got one wonky toe and Gar had exactly the same. It's the eyebrows, it's the hairline, um, it's the cheeky face, it's everything. Like yeah. the only other likeness I've seen so identical is Mufasa and Simba. <laughs> That's that, a good I've comparison seen, for them. I've never seen a father and son look so alike. It's frightening. It's like Yeah, it's they like, are. Yeah. And how have you found, you know, this? new parenting journey that you did not expect yourself to be on because you know I know that people don't go into parenting expecting to be single parents mm -hmm. but you literally like you know it wasn't a choice for you guys yeah. you know you were thrown into this 
no pre-warning it wasn't a relationship that went bad and you went your separate ways you know it was completely completely out of the blue so how has that how has that journey been for you and I know that you have like obviously your mom and your brother are incredible and obviously Gar's parents are as well yeah 100% yeah they're so good but still at the end of the day like the responsibility falls on you as being the sole parent so how have you found that I find it really difficult because obviously um, a child that um, is surrounded by tragic circumstances um, tends to be spoiled and things are, you know, compensated for. And, you know, that's definitely been the case. Obviously, he was, to everybody, he was like, oh, this gift that was left of God was gone. But I mean, as a result of that, I mean, he, you know, it, that has its own uh, implications. Like he could, he, I found him that he's quite spoiled um, and he pushes boundaries and he knows um, that he's adored, which is nice, but sometimes giving too much knowledge to a child is, is not good. Like he, I do struggle with him now more sort of four and five. I mean, he's, he knows that his nan and granddad, obviously garbing an only child and everything, um, he's there, everything. He knows that and he plays on it. I'm finding it more difficult now than I did sort of when he was two or three, because he was a baby and it is what it is. But it's definitely true that too much is too much because it starts to kind of shape who they are as a person now. So I find it more difficult now as a result of what happened um, in that he's, you know, he, he by everybody, obviously, because they want to give him all the love in the world and all that sort of stuff. And some people just do it in by ways of stuff or, you know, letting him get away with stuff or whatever, which I have done too and sometimes because I've been so exhausted or grieving or upset or whatever I probably let him get away with too much as well but as a result of that it kind of Josh can be very spoiled and very strong-willed um, and kind of knows the angles like he knows if if I'm a certain way all he has to do is speak to his nana and obviously I'm very respectful of Gareth's parents because of what they've gone through so I tend to um, try and not be too stern with him around them but you yeah know, slowly but surely they're starting to see like I, I mean business now because you know you have to but you have to and I, I think I let a lot go for a long time because because of how I was feeling it was easier just to say okay yeah go down to nan and granny you can have whatever you want they can do whatever you can do whatever you want um but I think now they're themselves are seeing the the ramifications of them being so spoiling that they're now trying to pull it back um which I'm trying to do as well. So it's, it's a weird sort of dance that we all play. I, I try my best, but I'm always going to be the wagon because I'm just the main parent. And Nan and Grandad down the road are always going to be the best in the world because they always say yes. And it's just, there's a little bit of a, a power dynamic there that we're just all trying to figure out ourselves. But definitely kids that have been through something like that tend to, uh, everything is overcompensated. And yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Um like kind of circumstances were a little bit different um my cousin lost her mom when she was five mm-hmm. um to an illness and the same again now she like she's not spoiled she grew into be like an amazing you know amazing person and she's so kind and she's just mm-hmm. she's incredible um but yeah no I can definitely like from uh, from the other side I can definitely see how that happens yeah um which is completely understandable in a lot of ways but you always like from a parenting point of view you know you definitely nobody wants to spoil a child regardless of circumstances surrounding it nobody 
you know, wants their child to be spoiled or wants mm-hmm. to be around a spoiled child. <laughs> nothing worse than an obnoxious five or six year old or a little yeah. know-it-all. Um, but like, and that's why I'll always be the, the bad guy. And I've actually accepted the fact that I'm just going to be the bitch and I'm going to be the one that, you know, reigns on everybody's parade because I am the only parent and the one that has to actually enforce all this stuff. If it means that I have to be the bad guy and everybody And you're else, the person that has to live with them now. That's it. And if you knew, if any, well, you obviously knew Gar. It's like having a really, really small, non-stop talking Gar the whole time. <laughs> yet, yet I can't tell him to fuck off like I would Gar. I have to like reason with him and it's yeah it's it's a lot sometimes it's a lot but I, yeah. I said to him I said no matter what else my child will have manners and my child will be kind but now I'm starting to think no my child will know when to shut up and let other people <laughs> you know have their moment which we're struggling with at the moment but sure look it is what it is we'll get there eventually and it's how good. have you found you know how has nature kind of done its part is he very like his dad in personality ways 100%. as well 100 he is extremely witty and um, he has this great comic timing like he can read a room like it's not learned behavior it's definitely something that's in him he's a walking talking um lady gaga loving billy barry kid of the future i, I <laughs> swear to god like you know me blanca i'm like not shy at the stage or anything but he is like i could see him on rupaul and winning <laughs> and winning he's got sass he's got attitude he like he walked in the other day to me a moment the room and puts his hand up on the wall and he goes anybody looking for a sailor what? <laughs> like, where do you get this from so he's definitely he's, he's his dad but but he, oh he's definitely got your sass in there though with the sounds of him i think so <laughs> i think he's going to be on the stage like me but like hopefully he's like not really that's what I'm trying to get out of the obnoxious. No, he won't. You know, he'll learn, Mel. He's still young. He's still young. Give him time. You'll knock it out of him, if anything. <laughs> I'm trying my best. That's why I want to get him to go to like Star Camp or something. So he'll realize that there are other kids in the world that, you know, can sing and dance and all that. But no, honestly, he's great. I mean, he's really like me. He loves music. He loves musicals. He loves dancing and stuff like that. Um, but no, he is every bar of his dad in that he can read the room, have everybody eaten out of the palm of his hand. Um, and get away with murder. <laughs> Sounds Absolutely. like a dad, all right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how have you found parenting in general? It's, it's no joke. Yeah, it it's, no joke. it's a minefield. It's a minefield. And then, like, I was saying this to my mum the other day, like, I am the typical parent that's like, no, you're not having that. You've already had X, Y, and Z. And then I'm in the fridge hiding the fact that I'm shoving the second Mars bar down my throat. Like, that's who I am. <laughs> yeah. I'd happily eat pasta every night for the rest of my life, like happily. And so would Josh. But then I have to remember, oh, I suppose I'm supposed to put vegetables in him and stuff. Like it's just constantly, it's just, it's constantly on. I feel like there's a lot of do what I say and not what I do in parenting. A thousand percent. A thousand yeah. Percent. Because but I'm, then- I'm here trying to get like all these vegetables, make sure that she has like a protein, carb, veg in all yeah. of her meals. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, I'm downstairs stuffing the dominoes into my face. <laughs> you know? but and what you'll find is, is as Lucy gets bigger, you'll still do that, but you'll find sneakier ways of doing it. Like, <laughs> okay. I just, I save it all up for when Josh goes to bed and then it's like, oh, two cornettos, some noodles, something else. And I'll have sat and had dinner with him. I save it all up or, or my secret favorite thing to do. Oh my God. 
since COVID has kind of relaxed a little bit, to go to Subway before I pick him up from school and yeah. enjoy it by myself. I got caught out the other day because I saw the cup in the cup holder and I was like, oh, no, it's been a couple of weeks ago. But like secret takeaway eating when he's not around is my favorite thing to do because he's partial to a takeaway. You don't have to share. Not that I don't have to share, but I don't have to try and pretend to be healthy and say, <laughs> no, that's not good for you. So, yeah. Yeah. There's so, a lot of that, isn't there? There's a lot of that. So lot. what 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 advice would you have for somebody who has been through something as traumatic, you know? You, the experience that you went through is just something that not a lot of people can relate to mm-hmm. but there are people out there who lose their spouses to yeah. you know completely unexpectedly um or it might be expected but it's still it's it's de- i think i think i don't you see sometimes i think about it i'm like well what's worse a shock like i had or watching the person you love slowly die like yeah both and equally are horrific I don't know which is which is better than the other like the thing that I would say to somebody is from my experience and kind of what I've been dealing with the past couple of years is when somebody dies the first thing that happens is people congregate and you drink and you talk and then somebody else comes and everything's so sad so you drink and you talk and then you drink and you talk less with other people and more with your own people so I kind of found like when I was like sitting here all these nights on my own like the year after it happened to be like oh I'll have a bottle of wine sure why not and then it's another one and it's another one and it's another one and it can serious and if it doesn't turn into like full raging alcoholism what it does do is that it makes you far more depressed than you were before and I found sort of over the past couple of years because I had a reason to oh I'm upset or you know I'm doing this by myself or life's hard or I miss her or you know whatever and um, it's very easy to kind of fall into like doing that all the time and having less and less control over yourself yeah. now I have found now that I'm kind of coming around full circle and like working on my mental health and all that sort of stuff and realizing that no it's not a way to release need and it's more of a depressive and all that sort of stuff so I would say anybody that's going through something like that it's the first thing you want to do but try and make it the last thing because it becomes habit and it becomes like a regular thing sure people will call over here five six seven nights a week after guard and the first thing you do is you'd all have a drink because you're all upset and that sort of thing and I kind of think that like stunted me from like getting better not getting better but sort of feeling better about everything and and it kind of kept me in the same place for a long time like I like to say it almost pickled me because like it just became one of those things and it ends up you just end up feeling more depressed and more alone and I would say as well that it's very easy to like sit in the pain and look around and kind of go this wasn't I did everything right like why did this happen to me and all this sort of stuff and you know I was very resistant to help in the first sort of two years I was like no matter what you say it's not going to change what happened so you can tell me to think of a nice color of my emotions put it up in a balloon and let it float away but I said that's not going to help me and so I've had a lot of false starts when it comes to um seeking help for it yeah um, so I definitely would say um give it your all when you can I was very bitter I didn't want help like it wasn't going to help um so I would definitely say just try your best to get help as soon as you can and just keep talking keep telling people how you feel um and just let people be there for you because it, the loneliest place in the world is you know when the one person you want you can't have but it's even lonelier when there's nobody you can share it with so I would definitely say just keep talking and and, and get help and try and not lean on something like drinking because I think it it stops you in time and then you don't 
you don't you're not actually dealing with anything when you're having a glass of wine you're just feeling miserable so I would definitely say from my experience now um, you're able to feel more and um, when you're not doing it and it, it helps you come on loads so that's what I would say especially and I think it's good to say for a lot of people in lockdown this past year because everybody's been drinking more they're sitting at home and there's you know not the responsibility of getting up in the morning and stuff um, and it's very easy when something like what happened to me just becomes habit so that's definitely what I'd say and you know keep people you love around you and don't push people away because um you never know what's going to happen tomorrow and what are your plans for the future for you and the gorgeous little Joshua um our plans are to get out of covid we're, like we're looking at moving so we're going to be hopefully moving in the next six months or a year so that'd be nice a nice fresh start um I'm hoping to kind of go back to work in September once the summer's over and we know what, what's going on with COVID um, and my plan is just to be happy hopefully to get to a point you know sometime in the future where I can actually say I'm happy not glimpses of happiness but like genuinely happy and I know that that's there for me and it's you know it will happen but it all starts with me because I can't change what's happened in the past and um, I just have to get on board with you know where I am now and hopefully you never know I might meet somebody in the future I might not um but I'm just focused on getting me and Josh through as best as we can and to be happy well I know I speak for many 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 people who know you uh when I say that you're doing an incredible job and thank you my love you know anyone who like people who don't know you and people who do know you that listen to this are just going to like you know love you even more I know honestly no honestly (laughs) it's just I know you don't feel as strong sometimes I know Mm. that you don't you know there are times where you feel like you know thrown in the towel and you know yeah Mm. why why am I doing this but I just think that you're incredible I don't know personally like I don't know how I would cope and I know nobody knows how they would cope until they're in a situation like that but I just you know there's been lots of times when I haven't coped and there's been lots of times oh no absolutely yeah absolutely been a mess and even like recently there's times when I've been a mess and you know you you do stupid things when you're feeling a certain way and or there's times where I've just been shit like just been a shit person a shit friend shit mum all this sort of stuff but you know picking yourself up and keeping going like it obviously looks great like on Facebook cute kid and Da, 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 da. but I mean there's a lot of ugliness that goes on and real life that happens oh listen don't talk to me about social media I am like <laughs> and I know that you know I'm not a big poster on social yeah. media because I always for me social media is a place where you portray this as you said like happiness everything's wonderful lovely family yeah. all yeah. yeah yeah and I'm I'm just not into that I'm too much of a realist for social media so like yeah. when I do put little glimpses and I very rarely do but when I do put little glimpses of my life I usually put times you know put little bits of you know something that's kind of really made me smile but I try to stay off it as much as possible but I listen I just think you're incredible you're an absolute you're incredible and you're oh amazing. you're an inspiration and I just like I know <laughs> you are you know you are and Josh was so 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 lucky to have you in his life because you're just amazing to have him though for sure oh he's an awesome little kid and I cannot wait 
for all this to be over so that I can see you guys again. But Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat well, to me on the podcast. Thank you for having me on. I'm just delighted to be able to sit face to face and chat with my friend for the first time in I don't know how long. So no, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me and listening to me go on and on. Not at all. I've loved listening to you. Um, and just for anyone who is interested in coming on the podcast, don't forget you can reach out to me on my Instagram page, the Irish Mammy Podcast.